Welcome to the Cornerstone League podcast, bringing together credit union advocates, thought leaders, champions, and more. I'm your host, Tanya Dittbrenner, Cornerstone League Director of Communications and Media Relations. And today I have April Klobes, President and CEO of Michigan State University Federal Credit Union and the Reseda Group, a wholly owned credit union service organization. April joined MSU-FCU in 1996 and moved through the organization from a marketing specialist to management and executive positions prior to being named president and CEO in 2015. She has earned several awards, including Top Woman to Watch by the Credit Union Times in 2013, the Detroit Free Press Leadership Award in 2016, the Athena Award from the Lansing Regional Chamber of Commerce, and an Honorary Alumni Award from Oakland University in 2017. And the Detroit Free Press Top Workplaces Leadership Award in the Large Category Group in 2018. She has also been an active member on several industry, community, and university boards, having been a member of the Executive Committee and Board of Directors for the Lansing Economic Area Partnership, the Lansing Symphony, Trellance, and the Filene Research Group. In 2018, she was appointed by the Governor of Michigan to the Michigan Humanities Council. April, welcome to the Cornerstone League podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Recently, you presented to a group of Cornerstone CEOs about the QSO you lead, the Reseda Group, particularly its role in Michigan State University Federal Credit Union's investment strategy. For the benefit of our listeners, can you walk me through the Reseda Group's origin story and the circumstances that led to its creation? Absolutely. In 2019, um, obviously pre-pandemic, we had a few plans for our organization in terms of growth. And one of them was we were able to, through our financial forecast, see $10 billion in assets for our credit union on the horizon. Um, I say that because I think we all understand that when you reach that milestone as an organization, it comes with um, some changes to your debit to interchange income. And, you know, so therefore we were trying to figure out we need to start planning to not have that income. Um, in addition to that, we were also starting to see where fintechs in the industry wanted to partner with us or other credit unions. And we were trying to find a great solution to be able to take advantage of those partnerships. And so those kinds of pieces coming together, along with that, we had made some technology in-house that credit unions had asked in the past if they could purchase from us. And we didn't really have an avenue to um, manage those purchases. So what came out of that was the intention to create a wholly owned QSO of MSUFCU that we now have named the Reseda Group. And through that, we had plans, right, that we would um, be able to, you know, maybe replace some of the earnings that we know would be lost in the future through uh, the Reseda Group by selling technology that we have made or making investments in fintechs that ultimately may have a return for the credit union. So that was the intention behind setting up Reseda a few years ago. And that's uh, been how we've been operating. So in the Reseda Group, we have made uh, about 25 minority investments into other organizations. Um, we do have a R&D and a development team uh, in Reseda Group that is working to 
improve and get market ready some software that we had made in-house at the credit union. Um, and uh, then we've also done a few things that we weren't planning. We did do a wholly owned acquisitions of an ad agency and a printing company. Um, and so what that did for us that we hadn't put into our first round of plans for the holding company was that we are able to consolidate out our expenses with those organizations and so in addition to a revenue stream, we've now been able to realize some cost savings by having um, what I would call our suppliers um, in our in our QSO. So that, that's been part of the whole you know, impetus of starting the organization. One of the greatest takeaways from your presentation to the Cornerstone CEOs was the importance of board support. Can you tell me how you were able to garner such support for your endeavors? Absolutely. I think there's a few aspects that are really important for us. Um, we First, we talked significantly about what our plans were. So we did this at a planning meeting, gave the board time to provide feedback, ask questions, and really, you know, process what could be. And then, you know, so there were several months between the planning meeting and the actual formation of Reseda. Um, then we also presented a structure for governance, as well as a financial plan. And I think those things are in incredibly important, especially for us. You know, we allocate the NCUA cap 1% to the Reseda Group um, for investments in QSO. And so we always present to the board, here's the value today with our organization for the 1%. In addition to that, then we show the board if there were to be a loss of this full investment, what the financial impact is to the credit union as it consolidates up. We show a opportunity cost, right? So if we took this 1% funding and we did something else with it, if we put it into X, Y, and Z investments or use the funding elsewhere, what the lost opportunity is to use the funds for those things. So basically we provide the board, this is what we'd like to do with the holding company and in Reseda and the investments, but here are the other paths that this could take. It's very important for me to show the board what could happen if this doesn't go well. And I think that's also helpful for the board to fully understand what they are approving. In addition to that, we set up a governance structure that is helpful when, so we wanted to have some separation, right, legally of the two entities, but ultimately as being wholly owned by MSUFCU, our MSUFCU board does have fiduciary and governance responsibility for everything that we do, of course. And so what we have set up is that there are three of the seven board members for the Reseda group come from the MSUFCU board. And so this way they have line of sight into the work happening there. They also have the ability to share with the remaining board members um, their engagement and understanding what's happening at the Reseda uh, Q show. And so then um, the last thing I would say that we have done is we've also extended to our board the opportunity to travel to, I would say, fintech type conferences. So I know that in the industry, we all offer our board the opportunity for continuing education with CUNA events and Qs and other, you know, industry oriented programs. Um, and so we took it one step further and we've invited the board. They can travel with us to Finnovate or VentureTech or other types of programs where you can 
individually see, you know, firsthand some of the new technology. And so I think the board being able to hear, you know, directly the pitches and all the things that we are hearing really help them see like what this technology that we're hoping to invest in can really do for our membership. And I think that's another way to to help the board come along on the journey with us. It sounds like you have really included the board in every step of the way, not just through presentations, but through the involvement of the ongoing education. Can you speak a little bit more to the ongoing education? Like where where were the board members at a baseline before this process was started and where are they now? You know, at a baseline, I think they had good awareness because, of course, we've created some technology and we've always been very technology focused. You know, we have, you know, an ongoing conversation with the board where we present technology initiatives and innovation and so forth. So I think they they had a baseline very much of why technology and moving in to technology investment and partnership is good for the credit union. Um, but certainly I would say their time has grown, you know, in the last two and a half years of, of it's not just our education. They now are also can read and see something and and send me information going, I read this and I'm familiar and understand it because we talk about it at every board meeting. And I think that's part of just the process. We also, of course, talk about, we had a presentation at this year's planning meeting, you know, where are we today with our innovation and digital strategy? What have we accomplished? Where's the next, you know, phase in the roadmap? Um, so I think for us, it is an ongoing conversation at almost every board meeting that there's some level of, you know, conversation and presentation on technology that helps the board become very uh, comfortable and also very forward thinking in where we need to be embracing technology today. So I, I wouldn't say it's like a one conference, you know, does it all for you. I think it's definitely, um, you know, where you need to be heading is a continuous education process, like all things. What year was the Reseda Group formed? Uh, the Reseda Group was formed in February of 2021. What other factors have led to the success of the Reseda Group? I think there are several things. I think, you know, we have a, a process, so we don't just invest in fintech for the sake of investing. Um, we're not necessarily, our first goal is not to have a handsome return on our investment, but our goal really is to evaluate our partners in a way to ensure that they are providing software or technology solutions that we believe our members are interested in using and will adopt. And so I think that's part of the process is we went into this with, we wanted to retain members. We wanted to provide members with technology that they are seeking to use in their lives and that they may you know, it's very possible that they might have looked elsewhere if we didn't bring it to them. So first and foremost, for us, we wanted to make sure we were investing in technology that the membership was interested in using. So I think that's very critical for our long-term success. Mm -hmm. And then we also work to run um, pilots with our investment partners, um, with our membership. We That helps them be able to create, you know, like a an industry paper that says here is the success of 
you know, this pilot, and then they can utilize our results to help them either gain new customers, you know, credit unions that will use this or um, help them, you know, gather more investors because there's a proven use case for the software. So I think we look at it as how can we help them be successful, not just from an investment, but from a global usage in the industry from the consumers. And I think that's what, you know, our goal is, right, is to make sure that we're relevant for our membership, not just that we're investing in something and we're going to get this great return. That's not central to the business that we were looking at, you know, participating. You mentioned your commitment to providing products and services that your members are interested in. Can you speak to how you go about collecting that information? Absolutely. We do it in a few ways. So one, depending on the technology partner, um, we may be able to utilize our internal data to determine that. So I'm going to give some an example of we partner with Changed. Uh, Changed is a roundup app to pay down your student loan debt. Of course, you know, pre-COVID, that was, you know, different than today, even though we've now returned to paying down our student loans again. And so we were able to see in transaction history uh, which members were actually partnering with Change and having transactions come from their account over to Change to make these roundup paydowns for their account. So one, we can look at our own internal data and see which members are utilizing our fintech partners or our future partners. Um, then two, we have also established what we call a member research panel, and we invited members to raise their hand and say they want to be part of our learning and, and journey on how we partner um, with new technology, how we may create. Um, and so we have run what we call the lab at MSU FCU. And we asked, do you want to be a part of the lab at MSU FCU? And what this means is that you will answer survey questions about new products and services that we are considering. You may be asked to look at images um, of potential, you know, tech programs and say, does that interest me? Do I know how to use it? What, you know, all those like kind of, if we did a wireframe of a technology and ask people to walk through and give us their thoughts. And then of course, I always invite any member who's unhappy with anything, if they would like to be part of the voice of the future. Um, and so we have more than 600 members who raised their hand to say, I want to be included in that. And so the, we use that membership to start doing some of the inquiry on would this interest you? And and sometimes, you know, we manage that by, you know, this is a product for a specific segment of our membership or, you know, at this point in their life stage journey. And, you know, we don't ask everyone to rate all things, but that's been part of how we get their engagement. What advice would you share with credit union leaders who are considering CUSO investment as a source of revenue for their credit unions? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, I think you have to understand that depending on the stage of the organization you're investing in, you may not receive a return on your investment for three to five years, right? And so if they're more established, that that you may have that opportunity. But certainly if they're in what I would call startup phase or their first three years, they really are in growth mode. They need the investment to operate. Um, so, you know, we have a whole chart that we show our board, uh, Rosita, which shows the stage of the company. And so if they're in startup and they're in growth, you know, or in their stabilization, 
And so we also work to diversify our portfolio. So not everyone is in startup mode. Some are, of course, in earnings. And I don't expect if we made a specific type of the investment that we've talked about, that we're going to see a lot of companies being bought and sold for a large return, if that makes sense. And then also we work to diversify the portfolio. I, I had one of our QSOs say, I really appreciate that you invest in us as an old, you know, analog type of company, because we've also invested in a QSO that, you know, provides executive benefits compensation. Um, we've invested in a QSO that is real estate focused, right? And so they're not technology oriented organizations, but they're because of that, they're also not in a high growth mode and burning capital. And so we get returns from those organizations. And so it's balancing the financial portfolio um, is also helpful. So, you know, I think understanding what you've elected to invest in and, and present that appropriately is very important. Aside from QSO investment, do you have any other words of wisdom regarding credit unions that are seeking alternative sources of, of revenue? All right. So outside of QSOs, I mean, we've certainly formed partnerships with industry partners um, where we can have some non-interest income coming. Um, True Stage is one of them. Of course, we sell gap insurance policies to our membership um, and so that's a revenue generating opportunity for us. Um, it really, outside of the core business though, um, you know, just making sure that you have great contracts like with maybe your credit card providers or other things along that line. Um, you know, we continuously work to make sure that we have the best uh, contracts for our credit union um, that to make sure that we have a savings when we can. Um, but truly, the there's there's not as many doors any longer right on where we can have earnings outside of, of interest income. So making sure that we explore all of those is very important to us. How does generative AI play into this entire scenario? Um, well, certainly for us, we're looking at fintechs that are utilizing it for their products um, and services or the offerings that they are creating. Um, so evaluating where we invest, um, how it is being utilized. Um, it doesn't solve all things. And AI is very beneficial if you understand it, know how to use it. So in our organization, we do utilize AI in a couple, you know, we have uh, chatbots that are very skilled and knowledgeable and can work with the members or our employees to help them be more efficient in their day. But I also think it's really important for people to understand it replaces humans doing certain level of work, but you do need humans to help train your generative AI models um, because you also want to make sure that you understand which where you are looking for the detail, right? So, you know, ChatGPT is a large language model that is gathering information, not just from your own organization, it's from the entire universe. And so not everything, I, I know it's really hard, but, you know, we still joke about it. not everything on the internet is true. And <laughs> so, you know, if you're pulling in from sources that are not verified, you, you could be getting false information into your AI platform. And so you want to make sure that you have defined the language models that you'll be incorporating. And so, of course, for us, we're using internal um, in addition to that, you have to make sure you're training for bias, right? Um, and understanding who are the people that are training and teaching. Do are, is there any bias brought into 
the answer or the assumptions in the teachings. And so we try to audit for that as well. And then the last thing um, that I would say is you really do want to have I would say policies and procedures within your organization on who can use generative AI in what capacity, meaning are, are we going to let all of our software developers go out into what's available publicly and bring that in? Are they going to be able to be able to publish back out for other people to learn from what we have utilized? And, and so you want to make sure that you have very defined who can use, you know, a chat GPT type of software and who cannot and what can it be done for? Is it, you know, are we permitting employees to do all their thought work using chat GPT or, you know, at what point is it okay to use it? And at what point is it not? And I think that's really important to make sure as an organization, you establish how you want to use the new technology and tools available to us. Is there anything that you'd like to add or that I forgot to ask you? The only advice I would give is um, if you want to create a show, know it takes a little bit of time and effort. There's a legal paperwork involved. There's a board governance process. And then I would say you have to have, you know, some some comfort and a risk tolerance that what you choose to partner and invest in, um, not everyone is going to be successful and thrive. And I think you know, we're not used to that in our day-to-day credit union work. We want everything we do to be able to be profitable, show a return. We don't, we're, by the nature of the business, right, you're risk averse. And and so just know that this is a very different business model from operating the credit union. And I think if you go into it with that mindset, it, it's much more comfortable space to be in. Well, April, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Many thanks to April Klobes for sharing her valuable perspective on launching a successful CUSO, the importance of garnering board support, leveraging data to gauge members' interest in emerging technology, and the role of generative AI in today's credit union operations. If you're interested in hearing more about emerging topics, check out Cornerstone League's website to browse our upcoming educational events. Registration for Impact 2024 Cornerstone Annual Meeting is now open, so be sure to look into that. Until next time.